Hello Bulls fans and welcome to another episode of Bulls HQ. Thank you for joining me again this week as we take you through the latest news, analysis and game action surrounding our Chicago Bulls and I hope you're all out there enjoying your holiday break. I definitely have been doing so myself, been eating way too much so I better cut that out before the new year comes around but hopefully you guys aren't eating as much as I have been but Back again this week for another episode of Bulls HQ, and it's a special episode that I've got in store for you today, one in which we go down memory lane and revisit a team from the past that brought us all so much joy. I don't know about you guys, but I've hit the stage in my life where I'm often living in the past and thinking about all the good times from yesteryear, and when I do that, in relation to the Chicago Bulls at least, my mind often wanders back to that incredible team that we had in Chicago back in 2011. And we all remember that season. After striking out in 2010 free agency on luring LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, and even Chris Bosh to Chicago, the Bulls recovered by building the best post-dynasty team we've seen to date, coming from nowhere and winning 62 games and reaching the Eastern Conference Finals by playing some of the most inspired and best team basketball we've seen in the modern era. That team had so many storylines, from Derrick Rose rising to win the MVP award, Lowell Deng and Joaquin Noah growing into two-way all-star players, the bench mob itself, Tom Thibodeau carrying on like a maniac on the sidelines, all of it. It was completely iconic to me, and that team in that season meant the world to me, as I'm sure it did you. So when I came across Darnell Mabry's epic feature on the team this morning, which had the players and coaches recounting those days through their own words, I couldn't help but go back in time and start daydreaming about that team all over again, as I often tend to do every few months. And I wanted to do it again on this show with a man who put together maybe the best thing I've read about the Bulls in quite some time. So joining me now is Darnell Mabry of The Athletic. Darnell, how's things, mate? Pretty good. Pretty good. How are you? Going well, mate. I'm, um, I'm hoping you've enjoyed your Christmas break here. It's been a pleasant one. Um, got to go back home to you know, Oklahoma City and see some loved ones and Enjoyed a holiday and then came back up and spent it with my daughter. So it was a it was a very nice holiday for me. Perfect, great to hear, man. And I'm sure you you're uh, sure you're glad to be covering the Bulls again after tonight's uh, thumping to the, at the hand of the Minnesota Timberwolves. <laughs> man, I you know this was one of the games that I kind of you know hypothetically you know circled on my calendar um, just because it was a day after Christmas. Everyone's in the holiday spirit probably a lot of people in town and you knew the building was going to be packed. Uh, you know, you got, at the time we thought maybe Jimmy Butler was going to be here. Uh, you know, Derek Rose, Luau Dang, Taj Gibson, Thibs, all of these guys. And what a dud. I mean, it was just, <laughs> I mean, it was, it was an incredible dud by the bulls and this, this Jim Boylan offense, man. I don't know. I don't know, man. I don't know how we're going to put up with it for another 45 plus games, whatever it is. It's, it's, it's pretty bad to watch. Well, I mean, as a Bulls podcaster who's done probably a couple of pods now of, of just rants dedicated to Jim Boylan, I don't know how many more I've got left in me, so I'm, I'm hoping things change from that point of view uh, because, uh, like I said, I've only got a few more rants in me, but I didn't necessarily want to talk too much about the current day Bulls. I actually got you on to talk about your epic feature that you put up on The Athletic earlier this morning, my time at least, which was a bit of an oral history about the best team post the Jordan years, which is obviously not in reference to these current day Bulls. So coincidence or well-planned, I'm not too sure, Darnell, but the Bulls welcomed the ta- uh, the Timberwolves to Chicago tonight, in which we saw a lot of familiar faces from that t- 2011 squad for the Wolves. It wasn't a good night for the current day Bulls, as we mentioned, going down by 25 points, but for those interested in, st- in nostalgia, seeing Derrick Rose drop 24 points and dish out 8 assists and getting MVP chance from the Chicago crowd whilst wearing a Wolves uniform on the night that you happened to release this feature. From a journalistic point of view, even though the Bulls, the current day Bulls, that is, weren't necessarily that great, I'm sure you couldn't have scripted it any better. Yeah, I, I didn't even connect those dots, Mark. That's that's uh, awfully kind of you to even consider. I didn't, you know, I didn't think of it like that. It's just, you know, the whole thing came about because, you know, when I moved here about a year ago, uh, it's probably about 14 months ago now, I got here in October of 2017, and the only thing people really wanted to talk about was, you know, Derrick Rose and Tibbs and Joakim Noah and all of these guys. And I'm thinking, man, people just love this team. 
what is it about this team? <laughs> and so I, I started asking questions and digging and, and that, you know, that's, that's where that, that, that story came from, that piece came from. So I got that sense. So in, in reading this piece that, um, that you put out earlier today on The Athletic, I got the sense that one, you wanted to tell a story, but at the same time, it almost felt to me in reading it that you were kind of doing some research to the point that you just raised, you're sort of new to the city itself. So obviously you're familiar with how things sort of played out for this team, but online today you made it known that people either directly or to you to you, or just generally, as you sort of mentioned there just a little bit before, they're always referencing this 2011 team. So would it be fair to say in writing this piece that part of it was to tell a story of that team, but indirectly in a weird way maybe by speaking to and hearing from the players themselves relive those days have you been able to connect with this team and this city on a level that you probably hadn't experienced before definitely um you know it it just showed you kind of what this city is all about when the bulls are hot and they're rolling um you know just kind of the atmosphere the vibe the mood Uh, and that's something i haven't had a chance to experience yet you know i've talked to some other writers who have asked me to compare my time in OKC and those crowds down there to this crowd with the Bulls. And I'm thinking, I tell these guys, like, it's it's an unfair comparison because I haven't seen the Bulls at their best. Yeah. You know, and that 2011 team, uh, more than any other team, was the Bulls at their best, um, given what they were able to do and how far they were able to go in the in the postseason. So um, it, it was a it was a pleasure to be able to spend some time talking to those guys and and getting to know you know what it meant to them and and get a better sense of you know how much they meant for the fans. So we in our little bulls bubble here we reference this team often as you've sort of come to know. But uh, I, I want to know from you coming from Oklahoma City where you spent a lot of time as you mentioned before. The fact that, you know, this team or the people of this city or the people of, well, not just this city, internationally, in my say, uh, sense as well, we constantly reference this team. So I want to I want to know from your point of view, coming at it from an outside perspective, what struck you about the way people talk about that specific team and that collection of players and what it meant to the fans in general? To me, you know, when I look at the Chicago Bulls as a franchise, you know, I, I never knew really all of the pain and the frustration that people have with the organization. Yeah. And, um, you know, to me, it's like it's kind of been a charmed existence. You got six championships. You've had the greatest player of all time. You've had, you know, one of the all time greatest players in Scottie Pippen, who, you know, is, is I think, throughout the basketball world, probably underrated. Um, you know, it's, it's been some of the best coaches. You know, it's been a really good ride. And then you get the, those Derrick Rose-led teams and, um, you know, just how, how much fun they were and, and how much success they had. And it was just unfortunate that that the injuries set in and, and happened. But, you know, just, just the vitriol that is surrounding this organization, I had no idea coming in. And, um, you know, I, I, it, that story and, and being able to talk to some of those players, it kind of put more things in perspective about, you know, where this franchise and this fan base has, has been and, and kind of where it is now. Yeah, and no, I certainly see that point of view as like from your perspective, at least as to why you've been able to sort of or help bridge the, that gap, I guess, as to the history that you may not have, or you may have known about them, but it, I guess gave more context surrounding it. But another thing that I've been thinking about, and, and it's one that I've been riffing around for quite some time now, and, and again, it's pertinent given that you're on the line here, but Again, coming from OKC, do you think there's any similarities to this young Bulls team that we saw in 2011 versus the young uh, OKC Thunder teams you were covering, the ones that were led by Durant, Westbrook, Harden, even Serge Ibaka, to this Bulls team in the sense that there will be forever this what-if situation around them or this level of mystique that sort of adds to the legend of the team as to as to what could have been if it didn't end the way it necessarily did? Do you think there are similarities between that 2011 Bulls team and what you saw in OKC? Yeah, I actually do, Mark. But the crazy thing is, you know, I might get killed for this, but I actually thought the Thunder were actually better. Um, yeah, I you know, I know. I, okay, all right. I didn't, I didn't know what you know how how that might play, but <laughs> I, I just, I just know that from what I remember, and I was a huge, huge, huge Derrick Rose fan. You know, he was he was one of my favorite players um, in the league. So. Uh, and, and he was headed down one of my favorite players of all time, Boulevard. You know what I mean? Like he yeah. was, 
he was that I, I thought of him. I thought that highly of him. And so, you know, it's it's crazy to me to now be in the in the middle of it when all of this is happening for him. Uh, and, you know, I wasn't here for those days when when everyone uh, knew him as 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 D Rose, the you know the the next the next big thing. When I when I look at those teams, I'm thinking all you had to do was really stop Derek, and if you and if you were able to limit him a little bit, you were able to beat that team. Well, with the Thunder, you couldn't do that with Russell Westbrook and Kevin Durant. Um, and at that time, they, they still had James Harden. Um, so that's why I thought the Thunder in that day and age were, were better than the Bulls because the, the offense, you could just really slow down if you could slow down Derrick Rose a little bit. And you saw the Heat do that in that Eastern Conference Finals uh, when they switched on LeBron onto him. So, um but but yeah, I mean it was a fun team, and, and I remember rooting for him, and 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 it's just it's crazy. I, I'm I'm happy to see Joakim Noah come back, and I can't wait till to see him inside the United Center playing again because you know for all the love that Derrick Rose gets as an outsider, it's almost like Joakim Noah these days, at least. You know, I know Derrick Rose went through a lot, but it seems like Joakim Noah gets every bit as much love as Derrick Rose, and and that's eye-opening to me as an outsider coming in yeah I mean those two guys they were the I mean Derek was unquestionably the best player on the team there, there was no there was no question about that but for what Derek was I guess Joakim was the the heart of the team in that sense and he was that blue-collar guy and he, in a lot of ways he represented the identity of the team and typical Bulls team so I understand why he's sort of revered by a lot of the city or a lot of just Chicago Bulls fans all over, but I think probably Derrick Rose probably still has him slightly in terms of overall popularity. But those two guys, I mean, they define that era. And I think in a, in a weird way as well, the, the way their career sort of ended in Chicago will ultimately be the biggest what-ifs about what this team could have been in the same way for the Thunder that, you know, people talk about the Harden trade and, and what could have been for OKC if they kept that group together. I think the yeah. fact that Rose getting hurt and then obviously Joakim Noah sort of declining not there not long thereafter, they're the biggest sort of parallels between those teams because, you know, I'm still sitting here thinking, well, what if? I torture myself and, and, and so do a lot of Bulls fans in that sense. So, yeah, I just it was an interesting parallel given the, the time that you're covering the OKC Thunder and obviously what the Bulls went through in a similar time period. But getting back to the, the feature that you wrote, how easy was it? getting these guys sort of to open up about their, their past memories and recalling all that from that squad? Were they sort of more than open in um, sharing their time in that regard? It was it was surprisingly easy. You know, I didn't have a relationship with most of these guys. I knew Taj Gibson. I had, you know, I was covering the Thunder down in Oklahoma City um, as the beat writer for years. But then when Taj, when they made the, you know, the trade heard round Bulls Nation for Cameron Payne, <laughs> yeah. and, and they sent Taj down there. I had stepped off the beat and moved into an editing role. So, um, you know, I wasn't around Taj all like that. But then when uh, I went up to him, uh, you know, a couple of weeks back when the Bulls played in Minnesota and, you know, I had some conversations with, with Taj and Luau and, and Derek and, and, you know, got some couple quotes from Tibbs at that time as well. Um, you know, those guys all opened up pretty much immediately you know I all I basically had to say was hey I'm you know I'd like to talk to you about the 2011-62 win Bulls oh yeah how much time you got you know it was <laughs> it was like those guys just really opened up and were excited to talk about it and um you know I just think it was one of those things that you know everyone always talks about but no one ever really ever thought about just hey let's go talk to these guys about it because we always look for anniversary it's, you know five year anniversary of this or a 10 year anniversary of that i'm like hey i moved here a year ago and that's all people wanted to talk about was that <laughs> yeah. team so yeah you know let's let's figure out what it was about that team and, and you know i'm glad people you know it really resonated with people enough for you to have me on this podcast which i appreciate um but man what a what a what a fun ride that must have been i just can't wait to see the united center back to that level and i don't know you know how long it might take but um, I, I'd really like to see Chicago when it's at its best with a really, really good basketball team. Yeah, I mean, I think, look, you, you've come to experience a, a bit of a fractured fan base at the moment, which, you know, for various reasons is the case. But 
I think we are all unified in the sense that we want the pools to be back to that sort of le- of level that we saw in 2011, 2012. But how it happens, I guess that's where, or how it can happen, I guess, is where the where the line is drawn a bit. But hopefully it's sooner rather than later that we get back to that level. But were there any of the members of the team from that 2011 team who you reached out to who didn't necessarily want to participate? You, you pretty much got everyone involved. But, um, for example, I, I can't recall Keith Bogans being quoted in the piece other than by other people. Uh, he, he got ripped pretty hard from Kurt Thomas in, in a jovial way, a jovial way rather, through the words of Brian Scalabrini. So did someone like Keith Bogans, for for example, not want to participate or maybe CJ Watson, Watson or even Amir Sheik? Did these guys just not want to uh, partake in the piece? No. So so here's, here's how that happened. Um, you know, I didn't get a chance to reach out to everyone, um, and I wish I, I wish I had more time, uh, especially Keith Bogans, because he did get a, a, a pretty nice uh, <laughs> couple jabs in there yeah. uh, without having a chance to defend himself. But, uh, um, you know, so the biggest thing was, you know, I really wanted this story to run when these guys came to town. And mm-hmm. it was it was not a coincidence. It was planned that, you know, this this piece was going to run. It was always going to run, you know, when when the wolves came to town the day after Christmas. Yeah. Um, but I didn't get a chance to reach out to everyone. And when they fired Fred Hoiberg, that threw a wrench in everything. Yeah. Because right. this this got put on hold. So other people who I'd like to reach out to, uh, you know, I didn't have enough time to uh, to to basically um, dedicate my attention to to this piece. But. Um, you know, of the people who I didn't speak to, I, I would have loved to speak to Keith uh, Bogans. I would have loved to speak to Kurt Thomas. You know, I, I really, in the last couple of days, tried to track down Kurt Thomas uh, and everybody who I thought he might have had a relationship with. You know, they kind of knew him, but, you know, they didn't have a night, uh, you know, a number on him. And it's just like, man, how can I get Kurt Thomas? Because he sounds like the guy who would take this thing you know, to the next level. <laughs> yeah. uh, and then, you know. Um, who was it? Maybe John Lucas, which I kind of regret not having in the piece because he's right there on the Timberwolves coaching staff. Yeah, that's true. Uh, and I'm sure he, and, you know, even though he was kind of more of a, you know, bit player on that team, uh, you know, he's a talker. He's, he's, uh, he's real animated. He's, he's very engaging. So I think he could have added a lot to the piece, but, uh, unfortunately I didn't have enough time to try to get everyone. No, look, I mean, that's understandable, but at the same time, you pretty much got everyone else. So it's it's not like there were people missing, key players missing from this piece. There was Rose, Deng, Joakim Noah, Taj, Tibbs, even John Paxson. So a lot of the big names surrounding this team were in this piece. So it's not like you were uh, you left too many behind or anything like that. It was more just interesting to, to, to see where where those guys may have been. But I think what, what I'm really interested in, in in this whole, the coming together of something so epic that you've written here is... I guess from a fan's point of view, we don't necessarily get the access that you may have. So take us behind the scenes in the process and the amount of work it takes to actually put a feature like this together with with all these players on different teams and different cities, some in the league, some not necessarily in the league anymore. Just the sheer logistics of getting all these quotes and putting it all together in a huge fish, uh, feature is fascinating to me. So talk me through how something so epic like this can actually come together. I think it's, it's all in, you know, basically... Um the preparation and uh, the idea. And once you formulate the idea and start preparing to, you know, execute the idea, it becomes a lot easier. So, you know, this is this is something that, you know, I spoke a lot to uh, John Greenberg, you know, who a lot of people know, a columnist and who's my editor here with the Athletic. Um, you know, we, we were just talking about it and, and kicking around some ideas, and I didn't know that it was going to be an oral history type of story. In fact, I. I actually didn't want it to be an oral history. I think the phrase oral history is is overused and, um, you know, it's kind of becoming trite in my opinion, but I think they can also be effective. Uh, and I'm glad this one was sounds like it was effective for a lot of people. But, um, you know, I just, I just really wanted to um, be able to try to tell that story as best I could and I thought the best way to tell it was to let those guys speak for themselves. And, um, you know, like I said, I got most of the interviews from Minnesota back in November when the Bulls played up there. And then from there, it was just a matter of trying to get guys on the phone and 
and uh, tell him what I was doing. And, you know, again, as soon as I told him, you know, everyone was was um, was cool with it. And in fact, the funny story is, you know, this thing ran on Wednesday afternoon. It should have been up. I, you know, I was late in my writing. It should have been up Wednesday morning early. Um, uh, but it got turned around pretty quickly. And the craziest thing was I couldn't track down Carlos Boozer. <laughs> um, you know, everyone I, I tried to, you know, all of my contacts I reached out to, they didn't have a number on him. They didn't have a relationship with him. Things ended on bad terms with him. So no one could give me a number on Carlos Boozer. Well, you know, I finally get a number on Carlos Boozer. And it happens on Christmas Day at about two o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> so this thing is supposed to run the day after Christmas, um, yeah. you know, early in the morning. So I'm like, all right, I'm watching these games. I'm trying to finish it up and, you know, get it filed. I'm like, I got to call Carlos Boozer. Uh, if this is even his number that I just got, you know, because yeah. these players change numbers all the time. Who knows? <laughs> and and so I'm just sitting there kind of watching, like, the, the Celtics game and, you know, whatever other games they were on at that time. And all of a sudden, I'm like, all right, this is probably a good time to try this number. I'd gotten down, you know, down the road enough on – trying to piece together the oral history that I had. And then I call the number. Well, Carlos Boozer is on an airplane. He picks up the phone. He actually picks up. It's actually his number. He picks up the phone and he's like, yeah, yeah. You know, like, uh, you know, I heard that, uh, you know, you want to reach out because, you know, someone else that I knew reached out to him and, uh, you know, put in a favor for me, basically put in a yeah. word for me. Yeah. Um, and so, um, I'm like, I can hear the pilot <laughs> in the background as they're about to take off, yeah. telling them, the, you know, all the information. But, you know, so I'm like, oh man, you know, like the piece is running in the morning, but I could really use your, your input, you know? And I was like, can I just get two questions? And Carlos was the coolest ever about it. And, you know, I've heard some, you know, mixed reviews about Carlos, but, uh, you know, in my you know, 10 minute conversation with him as he was about to be on a flight, who knows where uh, I got nothing but good things to say about Carlos. He came through in the clutch and I think that he put it over the top. So uh, shout out to Carlos Boozer. Yeah. I mean, I was going to mention Booz later on, but he had some great quotes in there, but you, you spoke about not necessarily loving the term oral history, but I love the fact that you did go down the path of making this piece exactly that because there were so many good quotes in this piece that brought the whole thing to life. And I'm not even sure where to start and I doubt I could even choose my favorites, nor do I want to necessarily spoil them for those who haven't read the feature yet, which I am imploring people to do so. But one thing that bounced off the screen in reading this was how funny and self-deprecating Brian Scalabrini was. So we sort of know that about his character, but the, the part where he was mentioning that the team really took off in 2010, 2011 when Tim's ben benched him, that, that pass to me was absolutely hilarious. But to you at least from a, a journalistic standpoint, who was the best interview in this piece that you had? Because you had so many good quotes in this, but who, who was your personal favorite? Um... Favorite is, you know, I don't know about the word favorite, but, you know, I really enjoyed the interview with Scalabrini. Um, and, and you know, when you say personal, like it is personal because, you know, in the year and a half, two years before I moved up to Chicago, I would get up and play basketball at 6 a.m. Well, on my way to the gym, uh, I would listen to um, – Brian Scalabrini on, on NBA radio um, with Frank Isola. So, you know, those guys were guys that, you know, I kind of come, I've, I've come to love listening to. And so to be able to interview Brian Scalabrini, you know, before and after my, my, my 6 a.m. morning basketball games, um, you know, I just, I just really enjoyed that and catching up with him and, and kind of being able to interview someone who I enjoy listening to, to do interviews. So, um, that was enjoyable, but I also thought Ronnie Brewer was was really pivotal to that piece because yeah, he, was great. he provided he provided a lot of insight, man. Yeah. And, and I was actually I, I kind of I think one of my either my last season or set, eh, no I think he was there before that he was on one of those Thunder teams that I covered, uh, you know, back in my OKC days, and um, you know I remember him being a, a genuinely nice guy, uh, but I didn't really recall him being a great interview and. The fact that he came out and 
spoke so eloquently about that team uh, and provided so so much great insight. Uh, you know, I, I have to rank that up there at the top of all the guys that I, I spoke to. Yeah, I mean, he provided so much detail just in the, the way the team sort of bonded and sort of behaved with one another. I thought that was awesome. So I definitely agree with that. He he really added to the whole thing. But like I said before, you had all the big names in there, Rose, Deng, Noah, Tibbs, etc. But while we, the reader, got to read their words and thoughts, are you able to clue us in in how these guys sort of presented themselves when talking about this team? So when I was reading it, like the imagery that I had in my head based on their words is guys just being extremely fond of their time together, guys laughing, smiling, giving off a very positive vibe. That's how I read it, at least. But maybe that's through my uh, bulls-colored glasses. But was that the case in person? Yeah, I just want to make sure that I understand the question. Um, are you asking if they enjoyed talking about that team? Yeah, pretty much. I want to. I want to know. Like, obviously, the, their words sort of illustrate the fact that they they recall those days extremely fondly. But in just in terms of how they sort of express those words, could you see it in their face that they were, I guess, enjoying themselves, sort of recalling those great memories from that twenty eleven team? Yeah, I, I thought it was. I thought it was um, genuine. I thought it was um, authentic, and you know, it it was real. You know, those guys weren't sugarcoating. I remember I asked. You know, another funny part of it was I asked Derrick Rose, you know, if that was the most fun he had had playing basketball, you know, and I'm thinking, oh, this is about to be a softball. You know, he's going to give me something great. <laughs> and because because Luau Deng had just told me that that was the most fun that, that he had at playing basketball at this level. And, and uh, you know, Derrick Rose was like, nope, the most fun I had was in high school. When you get here, <laughs> it's a business. And I'm like. Oh boy, I think I'm gonna just leave that part out. But yeah. you know, it was just—he was real about it. He didn't—he didn't, you know, uh, uh, you know, fantasize about it to the point where he was not being real. And I don't think any of those guys did. Oh, I mean, that's that's awesome to hear. That, that's great to hear. And and another thing that really stood out to me reading it as well is I didn't get the sense from any of the pl- players that were quoted that there were any regrets or any hardship towards what could have been or the way things ended. So that's definitely not the case for us in the fan base and specifically me who still clings on to everything that team embodied. But the players seemed at peace with what transpired, what they were able to achieve and still look back on those years so fondly. That's At least that's the impression that I got. Yeah, they did. But, you know, if I could flip the question for just a minute, because I'm still trying to understand, you know, just because I put out that piece doesn't mean I, I still fully get it. I think I have a better understanding. But what is it about that team that, that the fan base, uh, maybe the media even, um, you think would regret? What, what are the regrets from that, that season? Maybe, maybe regrets, not necessarily the right word, but just like what I mentioned before, the fact that Rose went down with an injury and then the team sort of fell apart thereafter and, and they got so close to maybe making a finals appearance and you know they had that one season against the, the Miami Heat in the playoffs and then Derek got injured in the playoffs the next year. It, it could easy at least for me, coming from it, from my perspective, it would be easy to sort of have some sort of, uh, to look back at that time as, as what could have been and maybe not maybe not with any regrets, but just wondering, you know, what could have been and not necessarily think, looking at it from a positive take, but in reading the quotes that the players provided, they were pretty happy with what they were able to achieve, the fact that they exceeded expectations, the fact that they came together as a unit and really played as one sort of team and sort of just bought into the entire concept. I think from that standpoint, they were all very glowing about the entire time they spent together. Yeah, you know, and and also just the fact that they knew that it was an injury that no one could control. And, you know, what good is going to come out and what good is going to come of coming out and, you know, griping about regrets and all of this. I mean, how does that make your your brother, you know, words that they're using, Derrick Rose, feel? So, you know, I just I just think that they they knew that they did everything that they could, and unfortunate circumstances cut them short. Yeah, definitely. And look, like I said before, that's why uh, the fan base sort of still hangs on to that what if scenario because we felt with one year under the belt that was the first, the first the Bulls' first real playoff run with that squad, and they got they even though they lost to five in the Heat, which he sort of documented there as well. It was a hard fought series, and it just leaves a little bit of a sour taste, at least for the fan base of what could have been, but obviously that's a little bit different for the for the players themselves. But you got the sense from reading their words, Darnell, that they were a unified group and they really bought into a common cause and that translated into the ethos in which they played. But on the section that you had on Derek Rose, it was clear that all his teammates loved that dude 
and they did everything they could help him to get that MVP award. So that part really struck a chord to me, the reader, but take me through like what you sort of felt as a reporter, just hearing these guys sort of talking reverence about Derek Rose. And there were some, some awesome quotes in reference to that. Yeah, I mean, Derek Rose is so complex at this point because of all that he's yeah. uh, said, all that he's done, all that he's, you know, had done to him, all that he's been through. Uh, and I'm talking about from birth. So uh, Derek Rose is really complex. And, you know, I know that there's a lot of people who feel a lot of different ways about him. Uh, but I just really wanted to reflect how the teammates felt about him. And, um, you could tell to a man, they really genuinely care for him to this day, you know, uh, present tense. They, they, they care for him, uh, as a person and, you know, who he is and, and, and how he goes about his business. So, um, that to me was, was the most revealing thing. And they, they, again, they all seem genuine and authentic. Yeah, and I mean that was a common thread, thread rather in throughout reading this thing. And I, I guess another thing that really shone shine through in this piece was the how it all sort of stemmed back to Tom Thibodeau in a way. And you, you had a, a lot of sort of sections that were dedicated to specific parts of the team and that era specifically. But in a lot of ways, it all comes back to Tom Thibodeau and, and the way he sort of led the team, what he demanded of the players, and how they all bought into what he wanted to do. So. After everything that sort of transpired under Fred Hoiberg over the last three and a bit years, which is probably more relevant to what you've seen, do you find it ironic now that the team is trying to rediscover a similar identity despite actively diverting away from those Thibodeau years? It almost feels like we're trying to go back to what we had in 2011, but we didn't necessarily want to do that in 2014-15. It's, it's kind of weird for me at least, but how do you view it? Yeah, I, I tell you, it was only weird when um, I was transcribing that quote from Pax, and and I'm just list, I'm, I'm listening to it, and I'm typing it out as he's, as it's as it's playing in my ear, and I'm thinking, man, he is saying the same things about Jim Boylan that he's telling me about Tom Thibodeau. <laughs> exactly. And, and I was like, what kind of bizarro world is this? Yeah. I, and and it's just you know it's it's crazy um, how much success that you know as I as I dug more you know more and more into that team, how much success Tibbs had, and how much credit he got. You know, I forgot that he won coach of the year. You know, I, I was really concerned with leaving out something that would, would have been egregious because I wasn't here. Um, you know, I, I forgot that he won coach of the year. And I, I, that was a late, you know, last minute addition that, I, you know, I, I, I had to throw in there because it's important. It showed you, uh, even though coach of the weird year can be a little kooky, it showed you uh, what kind of impact he had on that team. Uh, not only did they win the 62 games, not only did they make it to the Eastern Conference Finals, but you had all the players from that team raving about the coach, the first year coach in Tom Thibodeau. And um, that, that to me was incredible. Yeah, definitely. And I guess on a similar vein as well, another thing that really struck me in reading this was the bench mob itself. Now you had guys like Corver in this piece that were sort of, and Brewer, like we mentioned before, that were really valuable to the quotes that provided. But I think what really hit home in reading this whole thing and just remembering that squad was the fact that the Bulls really brought in a, ve- a bench full of veterans that could really help the younger players sort of develop and develop quickly. Now, while Rose and Noah and Dang and Taj Gibson were a little bit older and a little bit more developed than the current day guys like Chris Dunn and Zach Levine and, and Larry Markkinen, again, does it surprise you a little knowing what the Bulls did back then and, and the fact that they had so much success in building a team with so much depth and veteran depth that helped sort of nurture these younger guys come through that they haven't necessarily done that now with this squad, despite that being almost their MO or, or, or a big reason as to why that sort of 2011 team was so good. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't realize uh, that most of, a lot of those guys were first year additions, you know, when just looking back on the team before digging into it, I didn't realize that that was first uh, Tibbs's first year. I didn't realize that that was, you know, Carlos Boozer's first year. I didn't realize that they had gone out and gotten, Corver and Ronnie Brewer and Keith Bogans and you know Kurt Thomas. I didn't I didn't know all of that until I you know kind of had to research it and, and and remember all of that stuff. Um, so if you look just on the surface, none of those guys really moved the needle. You know Kyle Corver. Everyone wants Kyle Corver because he can shoot the lights out. But outside of that, you know you know Carlos Boozer had had the headlines, but. Um, 
you know, he, he was definitely second fiddle to the, the, the real prizes that year. Um, so so th- that really surprised me that, that all of these moves that they went out that were really a plan B, you know, that w- wasn't plan A. No. Plan B ended up being the best season in the post-Jordan era. Yeah, I mean, that, that's that's definitely true. And, and I, I don't know if it's luck or if that's just great planning, but it, it turned out to be that exact thing. And in reference to the guys that the Bulls sort of missed out, you had a whole section on the fact that the Bulls made that 2011 Eastern Conference team playing against guys like James and Chris Bosh and Dwayne Wade, guys that they had actively recruited. And here they were on top of the heat in their standings going into the playoffs. And here they were in the Eastern Conference sort of facing up against them. But I think what also helped drive this piece home was the fact that you had guys like Dwayne Wade and Udonis Haslam in the piece as well, sort of just talking about that competitive spirit that this team really brought out. And that was the constant theme throughout the piece. But I think getting those sort of opposition players in and talking about how tough it was to play against that ball team, it added an, even another layer to this piece as well. Yeah, and you know, I, I wanted to get a couple other guys who, for whatever reason, didn't want to talk about them. Well, those are the guys who didn't want to talk about them, and, and maybe that speaks a, a lot more to, to what that Bulls team was all about and kind of how many fits they gave opponents. But, um, you know, I'm, I, I was glad I was able to catch Dwayne Wade and, and Udonis Haslam and, you know, a couple of other people that I, I did quote in there because I, I thought they added some some much-needed perspective. And those battles with the Heat, man, I mean, you know, I, I do remember those uh, and, and and just how, how physical it was and how tough it was and, and just how much, um, you know, respect you have for, for both teams and, and both sides of it. But, um, you know, I thought they did, they did add to the piece. So, so I'm glad to hear that. Oh, they definitely did, particularly Wade. I, I thought that was really interesting to hear, like I said, because because he was a player that could have been a bull at that point, and the fact that he obviously wasn't, and the Bulls sort of faced off against him in the playoffs that year, it was, it was, it was really interesting to get his insights in that sense. But I've got a theory that I've been kicking around, not necessarily a theory, but just a, a thought that I've had, and I have no idea if it has any merit at all, but... In a cruel and twisted way, do, do we look back on this team so fondly because of our dreams were dashed in an instant? Now... As an example, let me just point, paint this picture here. So let's pretend Derek Rose never gets hurt. The team sort of stayed together for a few seasons but never won a title. They never get past the heat and things sort of petered out in the ways, the way it did for the Indiana Pacers teams that sort of followed the Bulls. Are our recollections of the journey of this 2011 team shaped a little bit differently? And are we sitting here today discussing the team that struck a chord with the fan base in the same reverence that we are now or... Do you think the fact that things sort of ended the way they did just sort of adds to the legend of that season and that specific team? Uh, I think it could be both. Um, I really do think it could be both. I mean, you know, and again, go back to to my OKC days. You don't have to look far to, you know, find someone who could tell you about about what-if scenarios. Uh, You know, they had three years straight of them with three different guys, not just one guy. So, um, you know... It, it happens in the league, and um, yeah, I do think that those days were looked at a lot more favorably because you just never know what could have happened, uh, as opposed to seeing it happen and maybe realizing that, damn, we're just like the rest of the Eastern Conference. We don't have an answer for that guy wearing 23. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, um, but, but you know, screw it, man. Like, those were great times, and who cares what could have been or, you know, Let's look at what was. And I think that's what, you know, Luau Deng was trying to stress in the piece is that, you know, they didn't win the championship, but, you know, they, they had a great time. They, they played hard. They, they made the city proud. They made each other proud. Uh, you know, they gave it their all and they just fell a little short. Yeah, I mean, it, it's maybe easy to say, like, just, just focus on the good parts, but I, I can't help it, Darnell. I, I always go back to those what-if scenarios. I don't know if it's just me just torturing myself, but it, it is the way it is for a lot of <laughs> us fans. But a lot of that stems from the Rose injury, and that has tortured the fan base for a long time and still sort of does now. So I think it's fair to say that is the root of a lot of the discourse, a lot of the discord, rather, that sort of exists today, which you're, which you're specifically seeing firsthand on the beat now. But 
How do you sort of sort of go back to that time in 2011 and work your way back as to sort of covering the team at that point or, or trying to sort of come up, come up or learn about that team at that point and sort of trying to piece, go back and put the pieces together as to how that specific event or that specific moment in time in the 2012 playoffs just basically changed and fractured the entire fan base? Have you sort of been able through this exercise to piece it all back together? No, heck no. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's a lot, man. And, and, you know, everything is different to everybody. So, yeah. um, you know, it would have been incredibly difficult. But, you know, what did help me is going back to that season and thinking, okay, where was I? What was I doing in that moment? And, you know, how did that compare to what was happening up here? And for me, that was, you know, the, covering that Thunder team that was, was taking off and, and making it to the conference finals themselves, you know, that season. Um uh, and, and then just basically trying to connect the dots and saying, OK, well, this this was where the Bulls were in their trajectory. Um, and, and so that helped. But but, man, it, there's just so many different emotions, so many different moments, um, so many different uh, situations that people remember for different reasons that I, I wouldn't begin to, to claim <laughs> to be an expert at this point. I just I'm just glad those guys were able to remember enough of it and, and were comfortable enough to talk about it to be able to you know, turn into a nice piece. No, I, I certainly understand that. Look, and I've tried my best to keep my emotions in check here and not necessarily go on a, <laughs> on a bit of a tirade as to how things sort of collapsed over that point. So I'll Let's probably hear it, leave. man. I'm learning. You nah, got to tell man. me at some point, how else am I going to know? Maybe offline. Maybe not offline. Right. But um, right. not now. But <laughs> I, I won't go down that path. But... Another thing that I sort of came out of, of reading this piece, and I don't know if you necessarily meant it or not, or this is just my twisted mind thinking about it, but there's no way I could read this feature without thinking about bringing back one of one or more of these former Bulls back to Chicago next season, whether that's Derek Rose or Taj Gibson or, or even Deng and Joakim Noah have as, as the end of the bench. Guys, they're all free agents in the offseason. Hell, Tibbs might even be too, so maybe Jim Boylan needs a defensive coordinator, someone who can help him out on the sidelines there if things aren't necessarily working for him. But do you think there's any chance that one of these guys comes home next season in a veteran-slash-mentor-type role to these to this young and rebuilding squad? I can't see it, but, you know, who knows? I, I wanted to <laughs> ask Derek that, and I'm kicking myself uh, for not asking him when I was up there. Um you know, if he if he'd ever consider signing back with the Bulls. And yeah. I don't know what kind of reaction I would have gotten. You know, I had some people who were in the media, you know, travel traveling media party up there who were like, you know, ah, heck no, you know, whatever. You know, I'm like, okay, well, you know, I just wanted to ask and see what kind of reaction I got. But um, you know, I would love to see Derek back here in in some capacity, but that's just because again, he was one of my favorite players. Uh, and, and I, you know, it's just, I, I enjoy watching him play. I enjoy, uh, what he's about, how he goes about his business on the court. Um, and so that, that would just be sort of the fan in me, but I can't see any of them professionally. I don't see any of it happening. Well, I'm trying to speak into existence, Taj Gibson coming back <laughs> as a bit of a okay. mentor for, for Larry and, and Wendell. So I'm trying to make that happen just, just by speaking into, into existence. I'm not sure if it's going to happen or not, but. I'm trying to make it happen. What was your favorite memory from that team? Oh man, there's, there's too many. But like I just mentioned, Taj Gibson there. But the dunks that he had on in the playoffs against Dwayne Wade, they come to mind straight away. Some of the layups Derek Rose had against the Heat in those playoffs as well, where he was sort of slicing through LeBron James and Dwayne Wade and just getting to the hoop and and finishing those plays. I mean, they're the iconic moments. But just Derek Rose coming to life and. Just just becoming that natural-born killer in the fourth quarter for the Bulls and just leading an offense that was sort of devoid of really any creators at the moment. I, I often whinge about this current-day Bulls, about you know Chris Dunn and Zach Levine being the only real playmakers on the court off the bounce for this current team. But back in 2011, it was pretty much just Derrick Rose and maybe CJ Watson here and there. But just remembering some of the things Rose could do in those fourth quarters, just literally putting the entire offense on his shoulders and somehow coming through in some of the shots he hit. I mean, that'll never leave me, I guess. So they're the kind of memories that I have. They, they they last forever, and there's just way too many to name, to be honest with you. And he was so young. Yeah, you man. Know, he was 22 years old doing that, you know, against, you know, people always say grown men. Like, he was he was 22 years old in his third season, uh, just, just basically going out there dominating play. And it was awfully impressive. I, I remember watching it from afar, 
you know, not every night like you guys up here, but are in Chicago. But, but uh, you know, what an impressive, impressive player he was at the time. And, and you know, it, it's hard to not be, um, you know, feel some type of way about what he's doing now. Like you, you gotta, you gotta love to see how he's been able to re- rehabilitate and come back from all those devastating injuries. So. Um, you know, I'm rooting for him as a player, and and uh, it's good to see what he's out there doing now. Disappointing in Chris Dunn, by the way, Mark. Chris Dunn, I've been I've been I've been leading the bus on Chris Dunn, <laughs> and then Derrick Rose comes into his house <laughs> and gets MVP chance against Chris uh, Dunn. I, I mean, I didn't. It's funny, like in a lot of way that this game sort of encapsulated everything that you wrote, and and the fans reacting that way for Rose in that moment really sort of summed up everything that you sort of had written down. And that's why to me, it sort of all came together very well for you, at least from a, uh, you know, releasing the piece on this day sort of thing. It all came together perfectly in that sense. But I did have that thought watching the game that Chris Dunn is meant to be the starting point guard of the future. And here he is getting cooked by the old guy, the guy that's 30 <laughs> years old now and he's getting MVP, MVP chance on the road. I mean, that's got to be tough for someone like Dunn to handle, but uh, yeah, that's rough, man. Yeah, I, I'll be honest. I didn't have the heart to ask him about it tonight. I, I just said, <laughs> what difference does it make? I don't think he's going to be here much longer. And, and you know, like, I, I don't know if they think he's the point guard of the future or whatever. But, man, I, I just look, I, you know, I asked him about the offense. I was like, I'm not going to, I'm not even going to broach that subject with Derrick Rose getting MVP chance in your building on your floor. You know, like that just I couldn't believe it. But I'm I'm actually glad that Derrick Rose got that type of reaction from the fans. I know he's kind of, you know, some got a love hate relationship with him. But I I was glad to see that they gave him that reaction and and responded that way to him. I think he deserves it. Again, I'm coming in with fresh eyes and I wasn't here. But um, I, you know, the guy poured his heart and soul out for this team, this this franchise and the city um, and, and just what a success story he is. Like, you know, you don't find that every day. So I, I thought he deserved everything he got, you know, in that game with the MVP chance and all of the, all of the, 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 the cheers and the, and the applause. Yeah. And, and for that reason, I mean, for a lot of people in that city, he will forever be a legend, no matter how things sort of play out on and off the court. Derek Rose will remain a legend to that, fa- to that fan base, a lot, or a good chunk of it, at least. So in that sense, I, I could almost, it's, it'll be weird because he's an MVP, but he will almost become a cult hero of Chicago in that sense, but for, for a certain segment of, fan, of the fan base, at least. But like I You said, know what, though, Mark? It's not just Chicago. It, it's, it's, yeah, that's I true. think it's throughout the country. Like that's I true. was looking at him on the bench tonight, just zoning out at, at one point when it was a 20-point game, and I was just looking at him, and I'm thinking, he's the new Carmelo Anthony. It yeah. doesn't matter how much... Carmelo, Carmelo makes it doesn't matter you know how poorly he plays or whatever it doesn't matter what the situation is Carmelo is always going to have his supporters he's always going to have his doubters and his haters but he's always going to have his loyal fan base and people who will you know just r- ride with Derrick Rose until the end of time and or Carmelo to the end of time that's how Derrick Rose is, is in my eyes and I think that's that's where he's headed especially now that he's he's overcome the odds and come back from all of these devastating injuries. Yeah, definitely. And, and maybe unlike Carmelo, who sort of really accepted that bench role and he, he wants to actively be the sixth man of the year. He, he's chasing that, being that defined bench guy. So he's been able to sort of move into that role-playing role pretty well here, which has been a big part of his success. So in that sense, I, I totally agree. I see the com- the Carmelo co- comparison, but credit to Rosa for to sort of, uh, I guess addressing where his career is at and, and making that move to to being that bench guy or that pinch starter like he was tonight and, and he sort of really gelled well in that role before the Timberwolves under Tibbs. But I've kept you long enough, so one final question here and it's probably my most important one. What do we got to do to get an extra piece on, on this whole thing about Kurt Thomas specifically? We, we mentioned him before, but I, I want to follow up on this, Darnell, about just all of the all of the stories and the, and the ribbing that we sort of learned from uh, Kurt Thomas in this piece. I, I want a full three thousand word feature just on that. Do you, do you think you can maybe get to that? I, I, you know what? I told you, Kurt Thomas was one of the guys that I, I really regret not being able to get in touch with. 
Um, if I could get Kurt Thomas on the phone, I guarantee you that you can expect a piece of Perfect. some kind on Kurt Thomas. Yeah, I want a part two here, mate, because I think he, I didn't know he had that much value in terms of his comedic effect, but that was great stuff reading that. And like I said to everyone before, <laughs> if you haven't read the piece from Darnell, definitely go and do that. But like I said, Darnell, I've kept you long enough, mate. This has been fun. And I'll tell you what, after reading your piece earlier today and talking about it now, I'm in my feelings all over again. So I'm going to have to let you go so I can have a minute here for myself. But <laughs> I really appreciate you jumping on the show to talk through your great work on this iconic Bulls team. They didn't necessarily win it all, but that doesn't matter. They still had an imprint on this team. But So thank you for uh, writing that piece. Thank you for jumping on the show. Um, and I really appreciate it. And like I said before, if people haven't gone onto The Athletic to check out the piece, definitely do so. Uh, you'll see it there up there on the front page from Darnell. It's worth your time if you're a Bulls fan and if you love that 2011 team, that the whole thing is worth your time. So definitely go and read that. So Darnell, thanks for writing it, mate, and I appreciate your time here and I look forward to reading more of your stuff in 2019. Thanks so much for having me, Mark. Appreciate you. Uh, thanks for reading it. I'm glad you, I'm glad you enjoyed the piece. It was great, mate. And again, thanks again for jumping on. And like I said, uh, happy new year to you coming up. And I look forward to what you got for us in 2019 with hopefully some more uh, more positive stuff from the current day Bulls. <laughs> All right. We'll see. We'll see how you feel when my big Cameron Payne story comes out. <laughs> I think we talked about that last time you're on. So this is your second time you've jumped on. I think you were sort of working on that at that point. But Yep, yep. Yeah, still think, in the pipeline. Still we'll, in see, the pipeline. we'll see how the people feel then. <laughs> well, look, I'll be reading anyway, mate, but I'll, I'll look forward to it. All right, Mark. Thanks, man. All right, folks. So that just about does it for this episode. Thanks again for Darnell for jumping on the podcast. I really do appreciate him making himself available to myself and to, to all the listeners of Bulls HQ, but more importantly, I'm very thankful that he, he had the impetus to go out there and write this piece on the 2011 team because if you're like me, that team, even though they didn't necessarily go on to win a title, they still hold a special place in my heart. And I think this team and reading this piece from Darnell really reaffirmed to me the fact that basketball and sport in general isn't about championships or busts, at least in my opinion, because if that was the case, a team like this wouldn't leave such an imprint on me and I wouldn't feel be feeling the way that I do about a team that didn't necessarily win a title. But here I am thinking about this team seven, eight years later, Still wondering what if, still wanting to talk about this team and still getting so much joy reading and talking about this team. So thanks again for Darnell for jumping on and I hope you guys enjoyed this episode as as well as reading Darnell's piece on The Athletic. Definitely go and read that. You will have a great time reading it if you haven't done so already. But as we're sort of closing out the year here, I just wanted to say a thank you or send a shout out to everyone that sort of participated in the show via your questions and those that have listened to the show, those that have subscribed, left reviews, shared the show online and those sorts of things, left comments. I really do appreciate it. So I just wanted to take this time to say thank you to everyone. Your continued support of this podcast means the world to me. So Thank you all for supporting Bulls HQ in 2018. Hopefully, we've got a lot more episodes in us left in 2019. And like I said to Darnell, hopefully, there's a lot more positives to talk about with the current day Bulls. And hopefully, this rebuild starts humming along nicely here now that Zach Levine, Chris Dunn, and Larry Markkinen are all sharing the court again after Zach Levine returned from injury against the Timberwolves. So here's to hoping everything trends upward for the current day Bulls. But I hope you enjoyed this one. And like I said, I'll speak to you all again in 2019. Have a safe and happy new year. Speak soon, Bulls fans. Rose Davis, historian and co-host of the sports podcast, Burn It All Down. And now I'm hosting the new season of American Prodigy, all about Black girls in gymnastics. For the last 40 years, Black gymnasts have moved from the margins to the core of the sport and changed gymnastics along the way. Now they tell their stories. You'll meet trailblazers like Diane Durham, superstars like Jordan Childs, and everyone in between. Listen to American Prodigies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.